Amen. Thanks for being here. Have a seat. And as you're sitting down, tell the person on your right and left, I'm glad you're here today. And turn to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. If you want to experience the full wrath of the internet, uh, say something kind about refugees and immigrants right now. And I want to prove to you from the pages of the scripture and these Advent stories why that should matter to you today. When we talk about Advent, it literally means the arrival of a notable person, thing, or event. What we're talking about is the arrival of not a notable person, but the notable person. In fact, someone so notable that we will be celebrating his notoriety throughout eternity, the arrival of Jesus. So this Advent season is bigger than that picturesque thing we have in our mind, which is a roaring fire, cold outside, but it's Houstonian, so not too cold. Not like this past week cold, like just like low 60s cold. High 50s, maybe. Fire, cold, eggnog, hot chocolate, cup of coffee, Christmas light in the background. What we're seeing from the pages of the scripture is Advent is much bigger than just my Christmas tree in my house. Matthew chapter 2. This is what it says in verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw that the star uh, had landed, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their very own country by another way. Verse one starts by saying, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, In the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. I'd love for you to have your listening guide in your hand this morning and follow along. You can see there the exact location of from the east is unknown. Scholars and historians offer up Babylon as a reasonable possibility. No 
Next, the wise men were experts in astrology, the interpretation of dreams, and various other secret arts. Now, these men would have been very valuable to the king that they had come from originally. Because you remember, most nations other than Israel were polytheistic nations. They believed in lots of different gods, and they worshipped lots of different idols, and they weren't informed in the sciences as we are. And so when they would have a dream, they would take it as a sign from one of their gods, but they wouldn't exactly know which God or what that God was trying to communicate to them. So that's why astrologers and counselors like these wise men were valuable to this kind of royalty because they probably had the ability to interpret dreams and they would say, King, this is what this dream means and here are the signs and here's what you could look for. And so it's important to know that these wise men, these, these weren't like you know Jesus followers who just happened to have a different address. These were probably idolaters who noticed a star and God used that star to bring them to the place that he wanted them to go. But they were important to the place they came from. Now, when talking about the star, there are lots of theories about the star. There are uh, scientific theories. In fact, there's whole presentations about how it was a real act that some historians recorded, and that was the star, and it was a comet, and it was a uh, just an astrological fact, and then other people believe it was just a pure miracle. In my hometown of Springfield, Missouri, we had every Christmas Springfield's live nativity pageant. It was at the fairgrounds. We don't have fairgrounds here in Houston because we're too sophisticated for it. But we had fairgrounds in Springfield, Missouri. And in part of the fairgrounds, there was this little valley, a hill on one side and a hill on the other. And on one side of that valley, we would do the live nativity pageant. And on the other side, cars would come and park. They wouldn't get out of their cars to watch because it's cold at Christmas in Missouri. Not here like it is today, a balmy 75 and humid, right? It was cold, so you would stay in their cars, and there was a, a choir, and the choir music would come through, and they would sing all the traditional Christmas songs, and, and there was a narrator who would narrate the stories of Christmas, and then there were the actors, and, and I, I grew up as a part of it, and so I took a turn essentially being every kind of actor. You don't start out as the baby Jesus, though, even though I was a baby when it was happening because the baby Jesus was a doll. It wasn't real. It was just the plastic Jesus. It's a real kind of disillusionment that happens uh, when you find that out, but it was a doll, so you couldn't be that, but you could be the toddler. Jesus. That's what I like to call him. Nobody refers to the toddler Jesus, but the toddler Jesus was the one in the the, the nativity pageant, the one we're reading about today, uh, who the wise men came and visited because there are some references early in Luke chapter two and later in Luke chapter two that says that possibly Jesus could have been up to two years old. And so my very first role in the live nativity pageant was to be the toddler Jesus. And then you get promoted as you get a little bit older to one of the angels, one of the heavenly hosts, the magnitude that comes around the shepherds and you would wear a white robe essentially and you had a little halo around and they would put white gloves on you you and you would do jazz hands. That's, that's the job of the angels, to come around the shepherds and do jazz hands. So if you ever see somebody doing jazz hands, you may be entertaining an angel. You don't know. It's possible. After the angel, you were promoted to like angel number two, and angel number two actually got to go up on top of the house that the wise men visited and would appear there and uh, you climbed up a ladder and stood on a roof. It was very exhilarating, and I took a turn doing that. And from then, you could be uh, a traveler who was responding to the decree of Caesar Augustus, and you would travel to, of course, these are all set to traditional uh, Christmas songs. And 
And then after a traveler, I was a Roman soldier and a shepherd. Being a shepherd was cool because it's cold and there was a real fire with real animals and every dude in here loves to play in the fire. And so it was nice to kind of pass the time as a teenager by uh, playing in the fire. Uh, But my favorite job, my favorite job, it was the last job that I did. I was responsible from... um, for moving the star from the bottom of the hill to the top of the hill. So at the right moment, this star would light up and then the choir would launch into We Three Kings of Orient R and I would start spinning this little handle and it would make this star move from all the way to the bottom to all the way to the top. And you had to do it very smoothly. You know, this is a God orchestrated event. So it's not like the star could take a few steps, stop, few more steps, jerky. You know, you can't have the wise men, you know, not following smoothly. And so you had to do it real smooth at just the right time. So it arrived just right over the Bethlehem scene, right as the song is ending and right as the wise men are arriving at the building. So when we talk about this star, we don't know. We know it's definitely somewhat more miraculous than the star I was winding. Was it a natural phenomenon? Was it just a pure miracle? We're not sure, but what we do know is God used this star to get the wise men from where they were to where they needed to be. And then it says in verse three, and when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him and assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophets. So they go and they search the scriptures, what we call the Old Testament. And they found a scripture to let them know where the Messiah would be born. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly, ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. Why did he want to know? He wanted to know... Because he wanted to know how old this baby was at that very moment because he had something devious in mind. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Now we know that Herod is lying. Now remember we talked about this a few weeks ago. Herod was ruthless. He was a murderer. He murdered multiple of his sons. Caesar Augustus, who was really in charge of Herod at the time, the emperor of Rome said about him, I would rather be Herod's pig than Herod's son. This is just a maniac. And he's lying. He doesn't want to come and worship the infant Jesus. He wants to do him harm because he knows that Jesus or any king is a threat to his own kingdom. And you see in your listening guide there, it's true for us as well. We either welcome Jesus' kingship or we treat it as a threat. The wise men say, we've come to see the one who is born king. Notice they don't say born to be a king. The one born king, immediate, immediately king, which was an immediate threat to Herod and Herod knew it. That's why he tries to deceive the wise men. And the same thing is true for us. We can either welcome Jesus's kingship, welcome his authority into our lives, or we'll see it as a threat. Take, for example, the three things that are probably the most important to all of us in this room. 
our time, our money, and our people. I'm guessing that you could summarize the things that are most valuable to you, the things that you care about the most, in one of those three categories, your time, your money, or your people, your relationships. So maybe you're single today and you welcome Jesus's authority into all areas of your life. You would say, I, Jesus, come, I welcome you to come and have authority over my money. I don't have any. So come and take all the authority that you want and come and take authority and be king over my time. I, I really don't care about that. But uh, it may be instantly, you know, when thinking about Jesus' kingship and your dating relationship, you, you don't welcome it. There's something in you that says, if I can put distance between his authority and my relationship, I want to. Maybe because the person you're dating would not be blessed by Jesus. That relationship wouldn't because maybe they're not where you are at spiritually. Or maybe some of the things that are happening and the way you're ordering that relationship just wouldn't be blessed. And so we try to keep Jesus' kingship at distance at a distance, why? Because it, it threatens something that we care about. Maybe time is your thing. It's the one thing you love. You love your freedom. To be able to do what you want, when you want. And you welcome Jesus into authority of your relationships and, and, and maybe even your money. You don't mind being generous, but when it comes to people asking for your time, the church asking for your time, people needing your time, you think, well, I don't, I need to put distance between that and, and the authority of Jesus because it's a threat. It's a threat to the kingdom that I've built. And it says that Herod is troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Why is Jerusalem troubled? Because the king was troubled. When you and I, wrestle with the authority of Jesus into our lives and we reject it. When we see it as a threat and we reject it, it will have negative effects on those you're responsible for. So men, if you're the leader of your home, you're the husband, you're the dad, but you are struggling against the authority of Jesus in your life, it will negatively affect your wife and your children. You may think, well, they're unrelated. They're always related because you are the leader. If you have friends that you care about and you look after and you love with your heart and soul, but you are wrestling right now with the kingship of Jesus in some area of your life. It is negatively affecting your friends. Herod was troubled because this king is born as a threat and all of Jerusalem was troubled with him. It says in verse nine, and after listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. You can see those in your listening guide. Gold, frankincense, which was a white resin gum from a tree in Arabia. It was used medicinally and for cultic practices. Myrrh, which was another type of resin gum. Now, all three gifts were associated with royalty. Matthew doesn't care to explain what they meant, why they were important. But historically, we know that they were usually given to kings and queens. 
Now, I believe that this moment was odd for Mary and Joseph. Mary and Joseph had received word from the angel Gabriel that Jesus was going to be born. They were to name him Jesus because he would save his people from their sins. They knew that. They had been given warning. But when we read the Gospels, we see that the the family of Jesus, they both get it and they don't get it. It's like they could see part of it and understand part of it, but they, they couldn't see the full scope of it. Even in Luke's account, it says that Mary was watching all these things when the shepherds come. And it says that she was pondering in them in her heart. She was thinking about them. And so I believe at this moment, which could have been possibly up to two years after Jesus was born, when the wise men come in dressed in their royal robes and their, uh, their authority that they came with from the place that they came. Historically, we've said the three wise men. The only reason we say that is because they gave three gifts, the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh. There could have been more. I feel very confident they, that they were rolling with quite an impressive entourage. So you can imagine the entourage comes in led by these men, these wise men, and they say, it says that they immediately fall down and worship Jesus. And Mary and Joseph are there and they've gotten the word, but some time has passed since then. And I don't know about them. I definitely know about me, but I can feel very confident and clear about what God is saying to me and what God is doing. But then when some time passes, I get confused about it. It gets blurry. I don't remember it quite as well as I did. I'm assuming that the same thing happened to Mary and Joseph, plus the evidence in the gospels that they get it and don't get it at the same time. I think this was a pretty odd moment when these men come in, fall down and start worshiping their son, which helps us to know that if we welcome the kingship of Jesus into our lives, there may be some obedience that makes sense to us that doesn't make sense to everybody else. There may be some things that God is going to ask you to do in loyalty and allegiance to King Jesus that's going to make total sense to you, but it is going to appear odd to everyone else. And we have the opportunity in that moment to do what we came to do or to bail at the last minute. Why did God choose these wise men? Why did he choose them? They weren't insiders. They were not Israelites. They were not Jewish people. They were probably idolaters from a faraway country. Why did he choose them to be the ones to come and worship Jesus? I think there are two reasons in your listening guide. Number one, because Jesus is king of the whole world. Jesus is king of the whole world, not just one group of people. I want everybody to reach down and touch your knee, if you don't mind. Just touch it right now. Just leave your hand on it. Uh, One day, that knee is going to fall down and worship Jesus. You may say, well, I'm, no, not my knee because I'm still figuring all this stuff out. I'm not, I'm not yet there. I'm not ready to make that commitment. I'm an atheist transitioning to agnostic and agnostic transitioning to superstitious and I'm just not there. It doesn't matter. That knee will one day hit the ground and declare that Jesus is Lord. And it's not just your knees. You don't need to take that personally, but it's every knee in Mozambique and every knee in Shanghai and every knee in Dubai and every knee in London and every knee in some small out of the way place 
Because Philippians chapter two tells us that every knee, every knee in heaven and on earth and under the earth will fall down and every tongue will confess Jesus is Lord. He's the king of the whole world. It doesn't matter whether we're acknowledging that today or not. And we see that level of authority expressed in the Advent stories. Because think about it. Two groups of people in the Advent stories came to see Jesus when he was born. Just two. Now, we don't get the full picture. Uh, Maybe people dropped in. But the revelation from God, from the scripture that we've been given, says there were two groups of people. First, there were the shepherds. And they were invited by the angels. Remember, the angel comes. They're afraid. He says, don't be afraid. Then the heavenly hosts with their jazz hands come around and say, you got to go to Bethlehem because the Messiah has been born. And it says they go and they find Jesus wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Shepherds and then the wise men. The wise men see the star. They're invited by God through a natural, miraculous event to Bethlehem. Those are the only two groups of people that we see visiting Jesus and both were invited. Both were invited. I don't know if you've been to London, but if you go to London, one of the things that you're, you'll want to see is Buckingham Palace. And if you go to visit Buckingham Palace, I'm just gonna give you a little preview. It's not gonna make it sound that impressive. It is. But when you go to Buckingham Palace, right outside the main gates, there in the front is a giant statue of a lion. And you stand next to that statue and you stare at that big giant house. Then you stare at the guard there with his tall black hat and he doesn't say anything and he doesn't move. And then you stare at the house again. And then you turn around and you get a selfie with the lion. And then you stare some more at that house. Then you stare at that guard. If you're lucky and you time it right, you'll see one guard come and replace the other guard. And we make a big deal about that, but that's really, you're just watching one guy get off of his shift and another guy get onto his shift. Just a lot of staring. You stand at that lion and you look at this house. That's it. Now, maybe you got some cash in your pockets and you think I want to take a step closer and you can do a tour of Buckingham Palace. And so around the side, there's a place where you can go and sign up for the tour and they give you the headphones and they give you the whole nine yards and they tour you through. What you already know are parts of the palace that they do not care about. They're like, we're not using this. Let's make some cash off of some Americans. This will be great. So when you're standing on the statue or when you're doing the tour of the palace, let's say it comes over you and you walk up to the guard there at the front gate of Buckingham Palace and you say to him, he won't speak back to you because that's the thing, but you say, hey, I would like a little time with Her Majesty the Queen. You'll just still be standing right there next to that statue of a line. Or you're on the tour And they're giving you the tour of all the the out-of-the-way places. And you go over to the tour guide and say, hey, listen, I know we're getting ready to go right. I want to break left because I need to stop in. And I just just need just a few quick minutes with Her Royal Majesty. Can, Can I get that? You know that the answer, of course, is going to be no because you don't appear before the queen unless you are invited. Right? And I think it's very interesting that the people who got to appear before the king in Bethlehem were both invited. And you and I, we've been invited too. Flip over to Ephesians chapter one with me. It says in verse three, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. 
even as he, listen to this word, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, listen to this word, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. What this passage in Ephesians tells us is the same thing that's true about the queen in England is true about the king of the world. You have to be invited before you appear before him. You don't just get to drop in when you decide to you drop in. You don't get to just drop in when you're suddenly ready and there's nothing else on your schedule and everything makes sense to you. You have to be invited. But good news, you have been selected by the sovereign. You have been. You've been chosen. You've been predestined. And a lot of us are tempted to think, well, that's because you know God knew what a great person I'd be. And he knew how, how I ordered my life just right. And he knew that I'd kind of mature and put away childish things and then start to be a little bit more adult. And I would stop reacting like that. He, he knew what a great person I was going to be. But then Ephesians chapter 2 starts and it says, no, you and I, we were dead in our sins and trespasses. We weren't even uh, uh, healthy enough to limp along towards his presence. We weren't just sick and we needed a doctor we were dead so we couldn't drop the hint to him i want to be invited will you invite me this invitation happened before the foundation of the world you were selected to appear before the sovereign before you were even born and we respond to that grace according to ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 with faith With faith, we respond. You've been invited today. Just like the shepherds and just like the wise men. And God invited you and made a decision about you before you ever thought about making a decision about him. Just like that star appeared to those wise men and suddenly they knew we should follow it. And it shows us Jesus' kingship and authority, that he's king, not just to one group of people, but king to idolaters and pagans, just like these wise men. And the second thing I want you to write down, why did God choose the wise men? Because all nations are welcome into the family of God in Christ. You remember two weeks ago, we talked about the big story of the scripture, where the advent fits in it. What we refer to the Old Testament starts with creation. In creation, then there was the fall, Adam and Eve making a bad decision that got them removed from God's presence in the Garden of Eden. And then after the fall, there's the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And after them, there was slavery in Egypt that God rescued them miraculously from through Moses, then there's a period of judges and kings, and then into exile, in, into Babylon and into Assyria. They're no longer in charge of their own homeland. And the Old Testament really just ends with a question mark. What's God going to new, do next? And Advent is the answer to that question mark. But that's the story of God's people. That's the story of Israel. But in the scripture as well is God's heart for what the Bible calls nations. The word nations is a very important word in the scripture. 
I brought a list with me so that you could see a summary of what the scripture says about the nations. If you were to search it out for yourself, the nations begin at the Tower of Babel, Genesis chapter 11. God separates them and gives them new languages. Abraham's lineage will bless all nations, Genesis 26. The nations rebelled against God in idolatry and in incredible wickedness because of that idolatry, Deuteronomy chapter 12. God is the judge of all the nations, Psalm chapter 9. God says he will be exalted by the nations, Psalm 46.10. Jesus said the gospel will be preached to all nations. We're longing for Jesus' appearing. That's what we're supposed to do. He came, he was born, he lived, he died, he was resurrected, he appeared to many witnesses, he ascended up into heaven, and the next thing left for him to do is to appear back on earth. And it's insane, but that's what we're awaiting. And Jesus said before that happens, the gospel is gonna be preached in, in all the nations of the world. And we wanna do our part here at Bayou City Fellowship. That's why in 2017, you're going to start to hear about the Shawa people. Say that name with me, Shawa. It's a little bit of a mouthful, isn't it? Right? And the Shawa people right now are considered by professional missionaries as an unengaged people group, meaning there is no gospel, good news, Jesus witness among their people group. There's no one gathering on this Sunday in the name of Jesus, whether secretly or publicly. They are an unengaged people group. But Jesus said the gospel has to be preached in all the nations and then the end will come. We want to do our part. So we're going to do our part. So you're going to start hearing more about them. You're going to hear about money that we want to use uh, to support church planning among them. You're going to hear about money that we want to use to support local missionaries who speak their language one day. You're gonna hear about a trip that we wanna take. And good news, guess where the Shawa people are out? They are, they are a refugee group that is settled right outside of Paris, France. So if you wanna do two things with your life, you want to be a missionary for uh, 10 days and you would like to visit Paris, then in the fall of 2017, we have a gift for you. Huh? But they're unengaged, they're unreached. They are a nation. They are a group of people that God cares about. And the gospel's gotta be preached there. Jesus' last words to the disciples before he ascended, you remember what it was. Go into the whole world, to all nations, teaching them to obey and baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The apostle Paul says that he received his apostleship. He received his mission for the sake of nations, Romans chapter one. We know from Romans chapter five that all nations will be represented in heaven. But when we read any story, when we watch any movie, what do we do? We always put ourselves in the shoes of the main character, don't we? And we approach the Bible no differently. So when we read the Old Testament, we always put ourselves in the shoes of God's people, Israel. But the reality is, unless you're of Jewish descent today, you're a part of the nations. You're more like the wise men than the natives of Bethlehem. But God cares about us. Romans chapter 11 says that we were grafted into the family tree of God. We didn't come about by natural birth, but he took us a wild shoot, a wild weed, and he grafted us in to his family tree. This is what Ephesians chapter two is saying. It says in verse 11, therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision 
by what is called the circumcision. It's awkward to talk about circumcision at church, so we're just going to skip this part, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So when you and I read all of those uh, promises of God in the book of Psalms, none of those apply to us. None of that's for you. When you read about God's covenant with Abraham, that doesn't count for you. Unless you're of Jewish descent today, that doesn't count for you. You're a Gentile. That's a promise he made to his own people. You and I, we're part of the nations. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So because of Jesus' sacrifice, there is no original people of God and new people of God. There's just one family tree. By abolishing the law and the commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to those who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we have both access in one spirit to the father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and with the members of of the household of God. You know, it's so easy for us. If you've been to church just for even five minutes, it's so easy for us to consider ourselves as insiders and look at everybody else as outsiders. But it's helpful to remember today that we were the outsiders, but God has brought us near. We were the strangers and aliens. That's why we don't need to be saying all kinds of awful things about immigrants and refugees on the internet. Why? Because you and I are immigrants and refugees. You may say, well, no, 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 no. My grandpappy stood next to General George Washington when he founded this country. Maybe so, but you were an immigrant and refugee in the way that it mattered most from God from God. You were far off with no hope in this world, the scripture says. But now, in Christ Jesus, you were, who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You know, I often have people who say to me, you know, I, I want to be a part of a church where we, we, just, we just know that God is with us, that we can sense the presence of God. And I say, right on. Who doesn't want that? The challenge, though, is how do you know when God is near? You know, is it a warm and fuzzy feeling that you get? Is it a heart palpitation that happens when the downbeat meets the right moment of the song? How do you know when God is near? Most people, when they ask that question, they look to the stars. They look for a star that would bring me near to God, just like the wise men. Uh, A sign, some evidence. Now I know that God is near. But what Ephesians chapter two tells us, if you wanna know God is near, don't look to the stars. 
look to the blood. Whether you have a warm and fuzzy feeling right now or you don't, are you covered by the blood of Jesus? Born in a manger in Bethlehem, a sinless life willingly offered on the cross for my sin and your sin. Dead, resurrected three days later. Appeared to many witnesses, ascended into heaven. One day returned. Are you covered by his blood? And if you are, then God is near. You are not far off. Whether God is answering your prayers immediately and quickly the way you want right now, or he is not, God is near. Whether things are all lining up for you exactly the way that you want or not, God is near. Whether you feel warm and close or you don't, God is near. How do I know? Not because of a star, but because of the blood. Because of the blood. His presence is never gone from you. It's always available to you. And everyone is welcome. Whether you are of Jewish descent today, a true Israelite like the Apostle Paul, or one born far off, a Gentile, all of us are welcome into the family and presence of God by the blood of Christ. Why don't you stand to your feet? Revelation chapter five. Verses nine and 10. The wise men were a part of this verse. People who were not worshipers of the one true God who became worshipers of Jesus. I want us to finish today by reading this out loud together. Will you read it with me? Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. This is where it's headed. It's gonna be a moment when that knee of yours is gonna hit the ground and you're gonna worship Jesus. And you're gonna look to your right and there's gonna be somebody from Mozambique. You're gonna look to your left. There's gonna be somebody from Shanghai. You're gonna look across the room and there's gonna be somebody from Dubai and Syria and Houston and wherever you're from. This is where it's headed. The wise men, they recognized what was happening when they saw the star in the sky and they sacrificed to be a part of it. This is where it's headed. The question for us today is, will we sacrifice to be a part of it? Let's pray. Why don't you take a second to say to God personally and privately, God, we've read your word. Our mind has been engaged. What's my next step of obedience?
God, give us the strength and power through your strength and power to follow through with that. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.